You're listening to Femme Innovation, hosted by Bethany Corbin. Bethany is a trailblazing leader and top voice in women's health technology and femtech. She inspires entrepreneurs to transform society's perception of women's health by disrupting and enhancing standard models of healthcare delivery. In this podcast, Bethany connects with the industry's most powerful and innovative voices to facilitate hard conversations about the status of women's health and break down barriers and taboos that restrict access to necessary healthcare services. This podcast is not intended as legal advice and is not an endorsement for any product or company. Now, here's your host, Bethany Corbin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Fem Innovation. This is an interesting episode that came to me through my own work with Fem Innovation. As we've been building out the services and the offerings that we have at Fem Innovation, I found myself starting to shy away from the sales side of the business because I had long been taught to believe that sales is something women shouldn't do and that it's something that women may need to be ashamed of doing for their businesses. And that really got me thinking about how many other founders continue to view sales as a dirty word or have a negative perception about the sales process. So to help us break away from our fear and our disdain over having to sell our products, I am so pleased to welcome this week's guest, Jocelyn Chong. Jocelyn is a certified life and business coach who helps ambitious female founders and executives elevate their sales and fast track their business results without working more hours or without feeling salesy, which is very important to me. She is also an award-winning author with a number one international best-selling book in five countries and 14 categories, including women in business on Amazon. She also won the International Impact Award in 2021 in the category of personal growth and development. So I think this is going to be a very exciting episode for those of us who may not feel as confident as we'd like to be about selling our products. Now, before we welcome Jocelyn, just a reminder that Femme Innovation is partnering with the Women's Health Innovation Series 2023. Over the past five years, the Women's Health Innovation Series has become the number one annual event that connects this industry-leading stakeholders in women's health. I hope that you will join us in Boston on September 14th and 15th. And please do not forget to purchase your tickets. They can be purchased at womenshealthinnovationusa.com. And if you use the code FEMINNOVATION10, that's FEMINNOVATION and the number 10, you can get 10% off of your ticket. So Jocelyn, welcome to the show. Very excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. So tell us about your journey. I'm very curious to learn more about how you actually got into sales in the first place and what fueled your desire to work with female entrepreneurs. Well, a little bit about my backstory. I was born and raised in an entrepreneurial family. So selling things and talking about services was very normal for me. And I grew up in that environment. And then when I went to uni, I started working for retail fashion stores. And selling was for me. I just love telling people how they look. I love recommending that made them look really good. Sales was so easy. And I also had, I love sharing the best restaurant or if I found out some place or a course that I really enjoyed that I was just willing to share. And I learned that that is because I just love sharing and selling is just sharing about what you love doing. 
All of us do that every single day, consciously or unconsciously. And that's how I learned that selling is unnatural for me. And from there, I fast forward 20 plus years. I went through banking and banking is all about servicing clients. And throughout that journey, it's always the front line, helping clients solve their problems, making their lives better. And that's how I realized that I wanted to do that more beyond the banking career and started my own coaching and consulting business. And in this business, I teach female entrepreneurs how to master their mindset and also how to learn the art of selling in a way that is not icky or salesy. So that's my journey in a nutshell. That's so wonderful. And it's interesting because you mentioned sales can be icky. And I know that for a lot of female entrepreneurs, selling does have a negative connotation. And a lot of founders feel uncomfortable having to actually sell their ideas and their products. And they may not have a well-formed sales strategy. So can you just tell us why selling gets such a bad rep? There's quite a few parts to it. Number one, People who had a bad experience receiving from a salesperson, that then becomes the way they think that selling feels and looks like. And so life is 50-50. We will always experience some good times when we encountered good selling decision. And there are times where we don't experience good experience about sales. And so when we remember the bad experience more than we remember the good ones, that becomes the template of us moving forward in terms of thinking about sales. And it's normal that our brain always want to present the negative aspect to us because it's, it's always telling us, all right, what would be the worst case scenario? Unless we train our brain consciously to think what could be the best case scenario. And so it is one theory on that and it is proven. The second one is that when you don't have a product that you believe that you're serving someone else, then there is always that uncomfortable way of selling thing. And so believing in your product is so vital that your product can serve someone for their highest good. And more often than not, people get into a sales position because they have to, it's a job, not because they fully believe in the product 100%. And so that impacts on their selling strategy because they have to sell something they don't really believe in. And then they have to think about, all right, how can that compromise with my personal values, my belief system? Does my client really going to get the benefit of that? And so that's the second theory. The third one is selling gets a bad rep when people don't want to do it out of service. They want to do it because they just want the money and very transactional mentality. Then it's just not in full alignment with the journey of selling. When you actually sell because you know that it's the highest good for someone and it is not transactional because you genuinely, truly believe that you want to help someone, it is a whole different strategy when you serve someone. And so those are my three theories that I'm going to share in this podcast, but there are so many others that we can go in into more depth in another occasion. But that is the top three that always show up in 
a lot of the coaching clients that come across and thousands of them. So we needed to help them overcome those barriers and identify how they can overcome that so that it brings alignment into their sales strategy. That's really interesting that you mentioned that because I think all of us have had some bad sales interactions before. I'm just even thinking back to the number of sales pitches I get on LinkedIn every day. Some of those do feel like you're constantly being pitched a product for the sake of having that transaction that you mentioned. One thing I would like to ask about too is, is there more to sales than having a website and a social media presence? Because for founders, and especially female founders, we hear so often that being on social media is crucial for having a business. But what else should founders be thinking about from a sales perspective? So there is over 150 ways to let people know about your good news of your product or your service. And uh, yes, having a website is just one of the many avenues to let people know how to find you and how to share more about what you do and what you believe in and what does your product do for someone else. So I want to offer that being on social media is the generation that we're in, but it is not the only way to actually sell your product or service. In fact, there are so many other ways to sell your product and services that I'm going to call out a few. Number one, you can speak and sell on stages and you can bring people in. Thousands and thousands of people have done that for years and years and still is very common now that people sell from stages. So you don't need social media to be there. You just need to be there in person and you can help someone and sales will come through. You can talk about your sales on TV shows. Thousands of people sell their products on TV shows. You can talk about it on radios. You can talk about it at a networking event. You meet someone, you share with them what you can do when you learn about their pain points and that you have a solution to offer. That's one avenue. You can also... Let people know through email. If you have grown your email list, you've nurtured them, and over time you've got a product that really serves them, that is one way to sell through email as well. And you can sell through SEOs. Website is one avenue, but people who actually go into keywords and they try to find a solution for their pain point, you might be able to explore SEOs. I know and I have been. A lot of times talking about my products on podcasts and people come to me via podcasts and they buy my products and they buy my services. And podcasting is also another powerful avenue. So there is many different ways that we can really, really expand our selling avenue. And it's not limited to social media only. In fact, social media is just one of the avenues to let people know that you are real, you're present, you are consistent. And it gives people the trust, the know and like you what you do. And then from there, they need different methods to believe in what else does your product do to serve them. And so I hope that, you know, the... The options that I pull out and share is something that our audience will go and consider maybe two or three and explore them very deep. It's important to always test and learn and go deep and not just test and learn for a short time, but go deep and really evaluate you know, how it works for you because each of the options that I call upon 
you can go so deep into so many different ways. And um, I invite maybe to explore one or two and then, you know, test and learn, test and learn and be a scientist to experiment all that. It will help you tremendously. Those are fantastic strategies. And I think too, for all of the women's health founders that we have listening, those are amazing avenues because so many women's health products get banned from social media advertisements due to the conflation of women's health with sexuality. And so knowing that there are other alternatives out there to get your name and your products out to the general public can be really helpful. And I want to touch on something that you said, because you mentioned networking as a way to build your sales strategy and incorporate that into your sales journey. I know for a lot of founders, networking can be a terrifying activity, particularly as we're transitioning back to in-person events after COVID. And I know that you have a free masterclass on how to be a magnetic networker. So can you tell us some of the key pieces of advice or steps that female entrepreneurs can take so that they can enhance their networking skills and make the most of those networking events? Absolutely. So... Number one, networking is really getting to know people and meeting people. And what I've noticed and studied this topic a lot is that people think that I go to a networking event and I'm going to pitch myself and sell the product. And want to really allow our female founders to think differently, to throw or put aside that thought that networking is not intended for that. It is really intended to go and meet people who are like-minded in your field and learn to see if you can partner with them, you can collaborate with them, or you can make introductions to someone else who might need the product. Gone are the days where imagine you go to a networking event and let's say 28 people are there and you're trying to sell to the 28 and everyone is trying to sell to someone. It is not that where you can meet people that will actually meet, help you meet someone else that might need the product. And then the art of best networking strategy is to really follow up with someone after networking to go out for coffee with them or virtual coffee and learn more about their business because networking doesn't end at the event. It only starts at the event. And so meet people, get to know people, build genuine relationships, understand who they are because sometimes business comes 100 days later. You know, it could be two weeks later. It could be eight weeks later. And so it's really important to do the follow-up and the follow-up is the part that makes the difference after the networking event. And so I want to invite you follow-up. Make sure that you follow-up, that you can contribute rather than the being the receiver only. And so be very proactive around, all right, what else can I help you? Because the more you give and the more you give out of what you have in your resource toolkit, you will be sent clients in ways that you never thought that would come out of the blue. And so think about it in being a giver's position and that the universe will send you your kind of leads in ways that is most unexpected. And um, the other thing that I wanted to invite people to go into networking event is to go in with the right energy. A lot of people go in to really feel that number one is a checklist that they have to do it. 
Number two is that it's, yeah, you know, networking, if I'm a female founder, I should do it. Or it's like, I just do it because it's one of those things that I need to get my name out there. When you shift the energy behind how you show up in a networking event and that you go in there, you genuinely listen to the conversations, you take notes how you can help someone, you make introductions through emails, you follow through when someone said something and you're interested in your conversation, you show that you're likable, you build know, like and trust. Naturally, when people have an issue, you will be the most you'll be most remembered and that people will remember, right, I actually met Bethany at a networking event and I want you to know her. I'll make an introduction. It's a two-liner and you can take it from there. And that can make the shift so much in terms of the way you perceive networking. That's incredible advice. And I think one of the things that you mentioned is is going kind of with that giver attitude, not trying to sell. I think that's a mistake that so many founders make when we approach the networking events is we think that we have to sell. We're here for an event. We've invested time or money to come to this event. And so we have to sell our products to get a return on our investment. And I think, you know, for me, I definitely didn't realize when I was doing networking early on in my career that it can take as you mentioned, right? Eight months, a year for some of those leads to pan out. Do you have any tips on, you mentioned, you know, follow-up was crucial. Do you have any tips on kind of when founders should do follow-up? Is it right after the event? Is it, you know, within a week? Because I think so many founders do fall off whenever it comes to follow-up. Immediately. So I always go, if you've got LinkedIn open, already connect there and say, hey, you know what, Bethany, let's jump on LinkedIn. Let's connect here. I will shoot you across a link to book a 20-minute virtual coffee catch-up and let's lock it in end of this week or early next week, whichever. The sooner you follow through, the quicker. Life gets busy. We get distracted by so many things that will come into our schedule the following day. The quicker you follow through, the more you are going to actually develop that relationship. To give you an example, three weeks ago, I went to a networking event. It was a very strategic move. It was intended for meeting 28 people. That's what the host said. We had speed networking event. It was two minutes. So everyone had two minutes, each person to share, you know, what you do, what you, who do you want to be referred to? And Right after that afternoon, I connected with the people on LinkedIn. The following day, I sent them an email to follow up, especially those that I had, you know, listened to a bit more of their pain points, what I could help them with, or I could resource them with, or I could make an introduction. I was ready to share my resource with them. And that goes to show that there's still a lot of people out there who are not as in tune with networking and they're still thinking that networking is just the end by the time you leave the networking event. But it is the start. And so when you're diligent about it, you make so much of a difference. So I want to offer and invite, you know, our listeners to think networking differently and to just follow through within 24, 48 hours, either connection or an email or a 20-minute phone call Zoom chat, whichever that works for you best and build that relationship. It doesn't end there. Like anything, we need to build know, like and trust. So 
you have to invest and really feel that relationship with goodness and nourishment. So that's what I would say. And I would help everyone to think differently. And it is effort. It is time, but it's worth it. That's amazing. Can you tell us some of the most common misconceptions about sales that you would like to dispel or how you're working to change some of those perceptions? Most common one is that female always think that sales is salesy and so they don't want to sell. And so when you have that mindset, you will have that barrier to overcome. And so the energy behind that is that people will not want to buy because that is the thinking, the energy, and we're such an energetic being. So importantly is to really work on your mindset. If you don't work on your mindset as someone who is representing a product or selling a service, get help. Get help by a coach that can truly coach your mindset around selling. So that's number one. Number two is that they always think that there's the price point that people will have the objection around price when they buy it. And so selling is an exchange with an item with money. And so be able to challenge if money is going to be the issue of selling a product because that means that there is the money blocks that the person is holding back in their mindset or body that they need body work or mindset work to shift that out. The third thing is, if they don't believe in the product, it is very unlikely that they can talk about the product with passion. And so it is so important that you believe in your product and your service and that you have got such a compelling reason why you want this product and service to help someone. And so those are the top three common ones and there's plenty more, but that gives you a starting point to think about how you can shift around the mindset around sales blocks and how you can really turn that around. Interesting. And you mentioned founders need the right mindset for selling. How can they get that mindset or tell if they don't have the right mindset? It's common that the mindset around representing a product comes from ability to explain it really well. And so if you notice that there's words that you stumble across, there's energy that you're avoiding, there is resistance that you don't want to do and talk to more people about the product with great passion, with joy. And there's always that, oh, it's so dreadful. Do I have to? Then that's one area that you can feel in the body. And that means that that's a sign that you really should be asking for help to help you move that. The mindset part is, it's not uncommon. Like anyone who transitioned from one role to another for female founders, get help in terms of shifting your mindset around business because business mindset is so different. When you don't have the right business mindset, it will always block the growth of the business. You can move forward, but as you move forward, that mindset block becomes bigger and bigger because as female founders, you're going to solve even more bigger problems as your business grow. And so it's better to really deal with the problem at the earliest stage and clean out any thoughts that are holding you back, keeping you small, 
playing you down, causing a lot of doubt, second guess, deal with them as fast as possible. Get a very skillful mindset coach for business. And if you want help, I can help you. But that would be one area that is so important because it sets you up for success. As you grow in your business, there will be different types of problems that you will solve. And so it's so vital to have the cleanness mindset and that when you have cleaner mindset, you believe in your clients, you believe in yourself, you believe in your product, you can grow and you can grow at a way that is in flow with ease, with joy, rather than growing in a way that is forceful, is pushy, and you get the results, but it burns you out and then it shuts the whole business down. So it's important to invest in yourself because you are the energy behind the business. And so think about how important it is to really make sure that you care about you as a female founder because you are the CEO. And so when you are the CEO, you run the business, you take charge which means you also need to care for your whole body, mind, and spirit. I love what you said about women founders being the power and the energy behind the company itself. One of the other things that I know you talk about a lot is the ways in which high-achieving women can unwittingly limit themselves in their businesses. Are there common mistakes that you see female founders make when it comes to sales and networking? Yes. I witnessed a lot in my lifetime and a few that stood out where female founders really limit themselves is that as they grow, they start to doubt themselves. The fear of success is one thing that stood out for them. For those who had always had success along the way, it is hard for them to receive even more success because as you progress, you will then have different people coming your way that might not celebrate your success, that might feel jealous, that might be envious about what you do. And you have to deal different types of energy. And so one aspect is the fear of success that really, really impacted them. The second one is the fear of failing. As you grow and progress. There will be more experiments that you will do in terms of, for example, marketing that you want to test and learn and use different strategies. And that means that, yes, there'll be costs. There might be 50,000 of Facebook ads that you put together and didn't get you the kind of leads that you wanted. Or it could be you failed because you created a funnel and you tested it and it didn't go the right direction and you launched the product and it's a flop. It's all these type of fears that could really, really hold those business women down because when they were very successful, they could be very successful employees of the organization. But becoming a female founder is a whole nother set of capabilities and skills that they have to either unlearn and learn. So it's really important to have a different frame of mind when you run your own business and that what I normally see is that female who excel in the corporate side of things they they are the ones that struggle most when it comes to transition because they have to unlearn which sometimes they feel that they have to go down and fail and that's not something that they're willing to accept because they have had such great success already but if they're willing to unlearn 
that is the fastest way up to success. That's fascinating. I never thought really about having to unlearn as you continue to grow in order to cultivate more success. And really building off of what you said about kind of the fear of both success and failure, I know that a lot of female founders suffer from imposter syndrome, especially when they're building their businesses in the early stages. Do you have any tips or advice for how female founders can really own their position and their authority confidently, even when they're just starting out? Yes. So I think that is one of the key areas that when female founders notice that, you know, they second guess themselves because they didn't think that they could do so well. It is important that then you notice and that you acknowledge that and that you move quickly to realize that you can find evidence in your brain that you are capable. And it's so important to celebrate your success along the way. One of the key ways to really overcome imposter syndrome is to really know how much success you have achieved so far, how many qualifications you have acquired, how much time you have invested to really be where you are today. And that when you start to see those evidence that you have collated, it can make a significant improvement podcast recording came from a mastermind and one of the ladies there created $25 million in her business and she's like, I am uncomfortable to say that I am a thought leader in my industry. I'm like, you are, like you are so good in what you do. But she goes, I, I just could not own that because there's something else in me that feels that I am not. And so we had to really get coaching, give her coaching to help her shift her mindset and dig deeper into what exactly was the barrier that hold her back from owning that truth. And with coaching after two hours to help her go, you are the thought leader. You have done this much. No one else like could do it this way. And so it's really interesting that, you know, sometimes we, we don't own the space and the truth and be comfortable to be seen in what we do. And that's one area that female founders need to learn because with men, working with men for 20 plus years, they just own it. Even if 10 out of the list of the skill, 10 in order for me to be truthfully that great. And so it's important to just really notice that if you watch that in your thoughts that that's coming through and you feel that in the spirit to get help to shift that out of your body and it's a lot of body work and mind mind work and thought work to empower yourself to be as confident as you are already a confident person I love it. And I think you made such a good point about men just owning it, whereas female entrepreneurs are so prone to second guess themselves, even when they have built companies that are as great or better than their male counterparts. I would love to know, do you have a favorite sales success story that you can share and the lessons that you learned from it that others might be able to apply to their own sales efforts? Yes. So I was GFC across the world. And I was responsible over about 500 customers at the time as a financial advisor. And I remembered that we still have our targets. We still have to achieve that. One thing, one consistent attitude practice that I kept doing was if I keep showing up, if I keep training my team, 
if I keep believing and speaking positively into what we do and I continue to contact my clients and service them. You see, it was easier for people to hide during that time to go, oh, you know, the world is going through such pain that, you know, I retreat, I hide. It's difficult to follow the news of all the media is presenting. But I chose to behave very differently. And the result was I surpassed my target that year. And even during that time, there will be people with money who wants to buy my office and my services. And I always think to back that there's certain formula of success that a lot of people aren't willing to go through. But if you're willing to go through that formula, it is true success. But it's consistency, it's showing up when times are difficult. It's still believing in the best in the future that's possible. It's still speaking well when everyone is speaking bad about the situation. And it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of bravery going through what others will go on. You know, you're just one of those positive person. But it is being faithful to those basics that really can make such a difference in your world. So that is one of the many success stories that I always you know, want to share because I remember it was just such a pain, painful time for the world's economy, but yet you still can do the right thing when your heart is at the right place. I love that. Keep showing up consistently. That is phenomenal advice. And, and I think that really goes to you know, what founders can do from a practical perspective when they're having down sales cycles, because we know, right, sales cycles aren't always going to trend upwards. There's going to be difficult times. And I know that you've talked about maintaining a positive attitude, even when sales cycles are down. So if you're a founder who maybe you're starting out and you're having a difficult sales cycle, or maybe you've done a little bit of advertising and nobody has bought your product yet, What advice do you have for founders who might find themselves in that situation? What I wanted to share in this question is, number one, sales will always have a sales cycle. So if you are a female founder, learn to forecast your sales and understand when your product cycle is most wanted. Let me give you an example. In Australia, springtime is the best time for a real estate agent. Like people would love to buy houses during springtime. You go fast and quick. And, you know, like it's the chocolates. People would buy leading up to that about 100 days towards Easter. So if you have a product and you understand the events that is when people would buy it, it helps you manage your sales cycle a lot better. And... Another example that I wanted to give as an example is that financial advices where I used to lead, we, although we have, you know, 12 month cycle, we only work about eight months, right? Because there is always seasons where people go for holidays. So December, January, people go for holidays, Easter, around June, people are always very busy. So there's two, three months that the sales will not be where it should be. And so, when you know your events that is a little bit lower, predict more sales forecast then so that you can then promote that harder and stronger. That's one way to do it. And when you have a difficult sales cycle, I want you to consider evaluating. What can you learn from 
that so-called failure, if you, you name it a failure, in my view, a failure is only where you are not learning from it and that you quit. But if you can take lessons out of it and evaluate from that perspective, what can you learn from that sales cycle that didn't work for you? What did work? What didn't work? What you could do different? When you are willing to evaluate and then integrate and apply what you have witnessed, the next sales cycle will improve, right? And so there's so many elements into evaluating a sales cycle that didn't work. And we, we've done tons of coaching around that with my clients. And so those are the two things that I would invite our audience to really consider that you can evaluate. You can really think about what works, what didn't work. And when you have that mindset, it can really, really shift. And then forecast your sales cycle. Understand, you know, what are the peak seasons and then promote that a lot more, maybe three times more, four times more so that you compensate on the low cycle period. And that's how you do business. Like any business, there's never that consistent flow. It is either inconsistent sales upward cycle or you think about scaling and let's say you launch a product and you scale it, it doesn't work the way you wanted it to be. Then you also want to go back to evaluation. So those two things are the foundation of what actions you should take forward. And then there's other ways that you can explore even more in terms of uh, managing those type of scenarios. Incredible. Jocelyn, this has been so enlightening. And I think our founders are going to get a lot out of this episode. If they want to connect with you or learn more about the services that you're providing, where can they find you? How can they learn more? Well, if you have found the information and tips that I've shared helpful to you as an audience, I would love to invite you to come and find me on my website, jocelynchong.com.au. It will be on the show notes. And um, grab a copy of one of my resources that's on the website that you can pull out and they are free. And then, you know, if you want to progress to have a conversation with me, you're more than welcome to do a 45-minute strategy call with me and we can talk about how we can help you out and explore ways that can lift up the way you do things and uh, fast track your success and help you achieve your dreams faster and quicker. Phenomenal. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jocelyn. We really appreciate your time. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in and please tune in to the next episode. Thank you, Bethany. Thanks for listening to Fem Innovation with Bethany Corbin. To connect with Bethany, follow Femtech Lawyer on Twitter and Instagram. Visit her website at feminnovation.com and connect with her on LinkedIn. If you found value in this show, we'd really appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcast. That helps others find the show. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Fem Innovation with Bethany Corbin. We hope you'll join us again next time.